And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike Trout is coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all postseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, happy Halloween, my friend. Uh, it's Monday, Halloween day. What's the Halloween motif at the Glanville house right now? Well, not much in the house, but I, I uh, full disclosure, my wife is a Halloween expert. She was master seamstress. She sews everything under the sun. Uh, so I, we used to have a wall up of all the costumes the kids have had over the years. And it's serious. I mean, it is serious. You know, I mean, there's a lot of Paw Patrol back in the day. Uh, they, they keep evolving into many things. But, I mean, she's she's done it all. One one year she was, uh, we had Meghan Markle and her mom. We had the, the two oldest daughters. Uh, the oldest was Meghan Markle. And the, <laughs> the younger one was her mom, uh, Daglin or whatever her last name. So, I mean, it, really? yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. I mean, it's it's amazing. So, we... Um, we know, but this year we were a little bit behind, a lot going on. Obviously, I'm traveling all over the place. So uh, I did go as a Dalmatian last night to a, a Halloween party, and we went as co-Dalmatians. And uh, yeah, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't hand-sewn. That normally she would do that, but this year she's like, mm, this year's a little crazy. We'll, we'll, we'll prepare for the big one next year. Oh, okay, good. Uh, for the record, I will not be giving out Halloween candy mm. Monday night unless the kids in the neighborhood... Stop by the press box in Philadelphia. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. But that, that will also be a fun place to be because, you know, Doug, you might have heard this rumor that the World Series has arrived in Philadelphia mm. for the first time in 13 years. Yeah. So uh, our guest this week will be a guy who uh, was playing in the World Series the last time that happened. Former closer for the Phillies and Astros, Brad Ledge. Mm. But before we talk to Brad, a uh, couple of things. One is... Uh, you should know this is not a normal episode of Starkville, as if we ever have one. But we've got so many other things on our plate. Uh, this is going to be kind of a mini Starkville. Mm -hmm. So here's one thing we can safely predict. We will not get any trivia questions wrong <laughs> this week because there's no trivia. <laughs> Doug, I know you're crushed by that, right? Yeah, I was looking forward to our, our run, our glorious run uh, of uh, 
three in a row, I think it is. Uh, yeah. But if it is mini Starkville, I I think it's time for us to annex some suburbs. We could we could start our suburban uh, Starkville. So I don't know. We have to come up with some names. Uh, Lidge. We could call one Lidge. Uh, Lidge could be one. Lidgeville. Yeah. Isn't Lidge is coming on? <laughs> we'll give people. Well, instead of statues, I always love to give people statues. And there's like 300 of them now. I'd like to just start nominating that we have suburbs named after our guests that qualify. So yeah, I, I like this. We you know we. We've talked about doing a whole show where we create uh, this alternate reality of what really goes on in Starkville. Mm-hmm. So put that on the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do think we should talk about this World Series. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like a thing to do. Yeah. Uh, games one and two, the Astros scored 10 runs off the Phillies' two aces, uh, Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. And yet uh, the series is tied 1-1 because in game one, the Phillies did something no team has ever done. They caused Justin Verlander to blow a 5-0 lead. He was 99-0 lifetime mm. with a 5-0 lead. So, Doug, how, how do you see this World Series right now as we head into Game 3? Um, this is a great series and um, so different. The personalities and the drama behind the scenes. Obviously, the Astros are trying to shake off 2017. You have Dusty Baker. And then you just have the the fighting Phillies and the true tradition of fighting. You know these guys are fun and they they're throwbacks in a lot of ways. Schwarber hitting balls to the moon, so I, I, it's um, a lot of fun. What I'm looking at closely on the field is is the bullpen. I'm very interested in how this has shifted. You talk about the one two aces and games one two. Now you're looking at the possibility that you know you're going to have to get deeper into that pen, especially the Phillies who are going to go with. You know, the Syndergaards and Ranger Suarez, who also is a reliever at the same time so far this postseason. So I, I kind of like um, to see how the bullpens play out. But I've, I've enjoyed it. You see the home run. And as history has shown us, certainly recent history, the team that out-homers the other tends to win these things. The Astros got completely out-homered in last year's World Series and uh, and still managed to win two games. So, um, you know, I, and, I, and the other thing I'm looking at closely is defense because – the Astros are a team that have put the ball in play all year long. The Phillies have had it as a weakness their defense, and now all of a sudden in this series, there's just more 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 balls they need to convert into outs than they had to do in in series where they were you know strikeout kings. So that's going to be right. really interesting to see like how that plays out because it really hurt them in game two. It did. That was definitely a factor in their defense. Their defense has always been one of those things that has been lurking because you knew it would come into play at some point. Um, since we don't have actual trivia in, in, in this show, I want to give you a little mini World Series trivia that relates to where we are right now. Doug, you want to guess the last time and the last city where the home team mm-hmm. won games three, four, and five after a World Series uh, after coming home one one to play game three. I mean, you know, I'm gonna nail this one actually. I don't know about it's the last time, but this is the Astros in twenty seventeen. No no the Astros when they lost twenty nineteen. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I thought you were gonna nail this. You already yeah, you didn't yeah. even get through the sense. Well, I, I'm still correcting myself. <laughs> Astros against the Nationals, because they all won on the that, road. Both teams won all road yeah. games. Yeah, that was the opposite of the question oh, that I asked you. That, I was going to I was going to ask you that last time any road team won games three, four, five of World Series. That was the Astros in 2019. But the last time the home team 
won games three, four, and five mm. when the World Series was 1-1 was Philadelphia 2008. Mm. But now here's another one. Yeah. Because they lost to the, when it gets they the split, last time. They split in Tampa, right? And they, yeah, I remember that. that well, yes. yes. Okay. One game one, lost game two. Very similar to this. Um, what was the last time you think the home team lost games three, four, and five of a World Series when it was 1 1 when they got home? So, not to so the Washington one, doesn't count. So, they, in other words, they lost the series. It was 1 1, came home, lost three, four, and five, ended the series. And so they, they lost, the series ended in game five, and they lost at home. Wow, that's right. painful. A five-game series. Yeah. Wow. You, you don't have to spend a lot of time on this if you don't this want to. How, how far back are we going here? Oh, the, uh, uh, just here. All right, here's the hint. This also happened in Philadelphia. Oh, my goodness. So, Was that the Royals? Wait, no, it wasn't the Royals. In Philly? No. Oh, Orioles? Yeah, because yeah, that's right. Joe Morgan hit a home run, a game one or something. Yeah, uh, yeah, 83? Okay. 83, that's right. Awesome. So uh, that, that just leads to this question. Philly, Philly, Philly. Well, what does... Yeah, what does home field actually mean in these games? We've just demonstrated both these teams have a really mixed up history on that front. Yeah, I, it's a good question because, um, you know, does it mean something differently with the DH? Does it mean something differently, um, you know, in those scenarios? It's obviously, you know, the World Series historically, they they used to have DH on the road, same thing, right? DH on the road, I'm saying if yes. I remember, it's been... so. Um, well, DH in the national in the American, American League, City, and then yeah, National, the National, City. National City. Okay, so and then they alternated for a while. And, you know, it was baseball. Yeah, it was baseball. Just the other thing. Yeah, I, you know, it's a good question. I, I um, I wonder. I mean, what what it says. I mean, home field advantage. You think that that's the big thing? It was a big fight about what determines home field advantage in the World Series, and whether All Star games and all that. And now we're back to like who has the best record, and I I think that's the right way to do it. But when you lose, I, I just think that in these two, three, two setups, when you lose game one or you lose, you split at home, that's a lot of pressure on that home field advantage team. It's fine. They should have pressure. But all of a sudden now it's like, wait a minute, we're going to Philly for three. And even if we lose like, you know, two out of three, we're, we're kind of up against the wall here. <clears throat> so I think that 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 is a interesting phenomenon. I, I don't think it's a bad thing to start on the road. I think you if because you win one. And you're going home, and you're like, "Hey, we win two out of three. You just have to win one more." I think that's a, you know that creates a very likely scenario. I know the odds makers are like, once those two teams splits, no, you know, especially when the Phillies won Game One, there was there was no favorite at that point. So that tells you a lot. Yeah, it's you know it's going to be interesting. Philadelphia will be electric as it's been the whole postseason, as we were talking about last week mm. with Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky. Um, so the Phillies do have that going for them. Uh, it, I, I think the Astros, you know, they obviously would have the pitching advantages because their staff is so deep. Uh, the Phillies are throwing Noah Syndergaard out there for, what, nine outs, ten outs, eleven outs, whatever it is in game three uh, versus Lance McCullers, who's Mr. October. Um, that That's... So it, it's really hard to read these next three games because you've got that versus historical precedent. But here, here's a thing that I've been thinking about. I, I'm, I'm curious about how you see it. Um, if the Astros win, their place in history is going to be so complicated to, to try to decipher because of the, <laughs> the 2017 cheating thing. But all right, take a step back from that. Any team that goes to the LCS six years in a row and plays in four World Series in six years and wins two World Series in six years deserves to be looked upon 
as one of the greatest teams of its era, regardless of circumstance. And reminder, there's only three of the Astros hitters who are left from 2017. Um, but then suppose the Astros were to get upset again by the 87-win Phillies, and you're piling that on top of losing to the Nationals 2019, losing to the Braves in 2021. Uh, uh, I mean, then wouldn't they be looked upon as a team that couldn't win three World Series when they were huge favorites? So it's just a long way of, of asking you, Doug. How much is at stake now for the Astros? You know, it's a great question, Janet. I say everything. And I also would say baseball as well. It's not just the Astros that are, that are you know, coloring this picture. I think that's the, that's the tragedy sometimes of these scandals, right? Whether steroids or whatever, you're coloring the game and what the game does about it and what that says about champions. Uh, where I'm hopeful, I guess, is, you know, let's say the Astros win and you have Dusty Baker. I think that is the ideal ambassador to talk about forgiveness, talk about moving forward, talk about the fact that a lot of these guys are gone and not were not there in 2017 or whatever it may be. I'm not saying that's going to make it go away for all these teams that were slighted or whatever it is. I think that, you know, history shows this takes a long time. It takes decades to get past these things, as it should when you you know, lost a championship and you kind of look back and like, oh, this team had an advantage. I mean, look, I, I'm still dealing with steroids and I've been out of the game for longer than I was in the game. I mean, this stuff, these decisions to cut corners, as my dad would say, shortcuts lead to long cuts. Like when you do that, then you have to, you know, the people that are paying the price is the legacy of the game. So that's that's the big problem that you can't resolve in one World Series or framing a team over five, six, seven, ten years. Uh, it's hard to win a World Series. I mean, I never... There's so many players out there that had nice, long careers that never set foot in a World Series. That's how hard it is. And, by the way, you could be the Braves and rattle off all those division titles and still win once, and that's actually pretty good. That's right. It's hard. And um, so, I look, the, the, speaking to the Astros' talent, they have a talented team, which is the tragedy of what happened in 2017, you know, like, it's like all these, you know, you'll see the stories about like, well, these guys were great without steroids. What does that mean? Like that, that's the exact point. Like, okay, if you're great without it, then you look even worse because you still took it. All right. So that's one problem. And the other problem is like, well, now nobody knows where that line is. You could tell me it's, you stopped at a certain time, but who, why would I believe you? I mean, who knows? So I think that's that's the issue. Once you kind of compromise that, you're you're just there's no real good way to go. But I do think there was one person, one man, one you know, one individual that had the opportunity to turn around the Astros' story, and I think Dusty Baker was uniquely situated to be the right person to do that because he he leads with love, he leads with belief, he leads with faith. He leads with forgiveness. He leads with like, you know, turning the page. That's him. And I don't know if anybody could have turned around the Astros story as well as he could. And, and I'm not saying like people are going to still accept it, but I, I, I imagine he's going to frame this as well as anyone could should they win and try to get perspective about, you know, turning and moving on. And, and that doesn't mean Dodgers or any of these teams should, but I think we also have to recognize like, you know, okay, the Astros got caught and it was horrific, but it's like most of the time, I, I, like I say, I'm going to speak in generality here. Most of the time when people cheat to that degree in the scandal 
it's because they're either thinking they're outdoing someone else who's doing it or they're kind of like no excuse but it's like yeah guys who took steroids partly because they knew they were playing against guys who were taking steroids right so they were like okay and they start getting paranoid and they start overdoing it and then like once again doesn't give you a hall pass but let's not like act like you know the whole game was innocent right so so i think you have that issue as well so you know can we bring it back so i don't know i'm torn a lot because obviously I'm a lifelong Philly fan. I played for the Phillies, which in some ways changes your fandom a bit. But that's one. But I love Dusty Baker, and I I want to see him have a championship. So I don't know. Maybe I'm in a win-win situation or a lose-lose situation. I'm not sure. But um, I think Dusty Baker is the right person to frame it, win or lose. Yeah, in a, in a, in a week when we return to Starkville, if the Astros win, I think we'll be talking a lot about all this, but especially about Dusty and how this frames his legacy. Hey, one more thing before we bring in Brad Lidge. I I, I don't know if people out there know that uh, now that Brad Lidge is no longer saving baseball games, he is pursuing his true passion, which is, of course, ancient Roman archaeology, you know, traveling all over the world to dig up ancient Roman artifacts. And I, I got to wondering, Doug, now that Brad's making a trip to Starkville. What do you think is the most important archaeological artifact he could possibly dig up in Starkville? Well, I I think we have a Trojan horse um, (laughs) underneath City Hall. I mean, so I think that I think he'll be appreciated because it's given its Roman history and and then it combines with Starkville. Why we have a Trojan horse underneath City Hall, I don't know. I think we need to look into that. Um, I think we also... You know, since the city of Troy was fascinating because of all these layers, we probably have 300 layers of Starkville's <laughs> underneath Starkville. Um, and each season, we build another layer on top of it. And, of course, we build statues to people as well. So I, I think if you dig deep enough, you will find 300 years of Starkville underneath Starkville. And you will run into a Trojan horse that uh, might be a miniature pony. I'm not sure, but we will will find out. So I'm I'm encouraging him yeah. to dig right away, and uh, you will find it everything you need in history, Roman or not. Wow, that's a deep that's a deep thought. Um, I'm I'm thinking that there there'd be some Trojan trivia that would go with the Trojan horse, but I don't know if we ever do get Brad to uh, undertake that archaeological dig, we'll find the answer to all of these deep questions that Doug Glanville has just raised. So on that note, let's stop talking to Doug Glanville. Let's talk to somebody who really has something to say about this World Series. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Doug, let's welcome in a man so special. They've named the entire World Series after him. It's the Brad Lidge World Series. So let's say hello to the former closer for both these teams and currently a fantastic host at MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM, Brad Ledge. Brad, welcome to Starkville. I think it's your first visit here, right? It, it is my first visit, and uh, it is definitely a pleasure to be on with you guys. And uh, uh, yeah, exciting times right now in Philly for sure. Yeah, and uh, just so people know, Brad is in Philadelphia as we record this. Um, and that brings up a, a kind of a fun topic. I heard one of your co-hosts on MLB Network Radio the other day kidding you that you were going to throw out the first pitch for both teams in this <laughs> World Series. Is there any chance that's actually going to happen, Brad? Um, there is very little to no chance that that is uh, going to happen, but uh, uh, there might, you know, there might be uh, some first pitch action happening at some point. I think it's uh, we're still kind of uh, figuring that one out. But uh, really, if, if there's going to be a team I'm not doing it for, it will be uh, Houston. We'll just throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> okay, if, so obviously the Astros don't have a good sense for the moment anymore. What it, it would have been great, I, you know. So, what are your emotions watching these two teams play? In a World Series, I uh, spent six years with the Astros, who drafted you. Four seasons with the Phillies, where you threw the final pitch of the 2008 World Series. Do Do you feel more of a connection right now with one than the other? Um. So, good question. And and I, yes, I, I do. I, I will first tell you that uh, you know I have a lot of close friends in, in both spots, former teammates, and uh, you know people you meet over the years, minor league teammates, everything else. Some of my closest friends still uh, with that Houston organization. And I obviously have a lot of great memories there and, uh, you know, got to play with some of the best veterans a, a young player could ever possibly ask for example wise, role model wise, you know, Biggio Bagwell, Osmus, uh, Billy Wagner, my mentor in that bullpen out there. So, um, you know, you couldn't do a whole lot better than that. Obviously Clemens and Pettit getting over there at some point too. And, and so I feel super fortunate to have those memories, of those teammates, but, uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, I feel a, a little more attached to the Phillies. And, uh, you know, it, it is obviously a point where or I should say this. It's it's something where if you win a World Series with a city, uh, you know, I think for most players that is that kind of becomes a spot that you want to just naturally go back to. But the Phillies also, uh, you know, as soon as I retired, uh, they called me up and said, hey, listen, we want to retire you as a Philly. We want you to work with us a little bit. And uh, so, you know, we, they got me out there and uh, my yeah, they really pulled at the heartstrings. My kid, we, I got to throw a first pitch in one of the games, and my, you know, they, they didn't tell me, but they had my kids at that time, uh, you know, seven and three years old, walk out the ball to me on the mound and stuff. So uh, they, they did their first-class uh, organization. And uh, so, yeah, I'm a, I'm a little partial to the Phillies, but it is a weird, uh, for sure, kind of an emotional <laughs> roller coaster watching these two teams. I'll tell you what, man, when, when the bullpens come in, just because, you know, remembering pitching for the Astros and being in that ballpark and everything else, and then when the Phillies guys come in, uh, I got to have a beer just to be able to calm down and watch the game. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, emotions at, uh, at this point. Yeah. So, so Brad, I'm curious, uh, you know, I'm sure you've uh, had this question asked a few times, but if you compare the teams, right, you're looking at 
2022 and you have, you know, it seems like a lot of people are saying this team's having a lot of fun. You know, they're just enjoying themselves. Uh, you know, what's your take or memories about the 08 team uh, or, or that sort of that period versus now? Yeah, well, I think there are definitely some parallels and it's certainly, uh, you know, for me, one of the things that you have to do to get to this point is you kind of have to come together, uh, you know, toward the end of the season. And, uh, you know, we had, we weren't a perfect team in 08, but, you know, we were playing our best baseball uh, that last month of the season. And then obviously in the postseason, I remember we were having a ton of fun and like, you know, the regular season is such a grind and you've, you know, guys get injured and you're just trying to get through a lot of times. Um, we barely won the division uh, in, in 2008, but we were getting hotter and hotter as the season went on. I, I think, you know, for me, when the season stopped, it felt like we could have played another two months and, and, and done great because we had just uh, coalesced so well at that time period. And I think I see that also with the 2022 Phillies. You know, they didn't they didn't have the best regular season. There definitely were some holes in the team. Uh, it wasn't the best defensive unit. And, you know, they were trying to figure out their identity. But all of a sudden, you know, fully healthy right now and, you know, tightening up everything, including that defense. The bullpen's been incredible. Um, obviously, having Bryce back and healthy is a, is a huge deal for the offense. But I just think we're seeing the team, you know, reaching its potential this October. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I think about the World Series in 2008 that I was with the Phillies. Uh, we go to Tampa, we win game one, lose game two, and then come back to Philly. And, uh, you know, that's kind of right where the Phillies are right now. And, uh, you know, I, with all due respect to Houston, I, I would love to see the Phillies win this in, in five games here in Philadelphia. I think people, uh, obviously, you guys know this, but, you know, people forget that that uh, beating the Phillies in Philly this time of year is no easy task. There is home field advantage um you know the astros are, are an incredible team and they play really well but they have you know kind of ideal conditions every day when you're playing in that ballpark and all of a sudden you get outside could be a little drizzle the weather could get a little colder and things kind of get neutralized a little bit and uh you know the, then then uh, some real fun starts to happen you really got to <laughs> yeah you know that's the perfect segue for something i wanted to ask you about game three where which is where we are um we're recording this monday afternoon it's such a pivotal game. Obviously, when the series is tied one to one, you had that exact scenario uh, in 2008, and um, that game got rain delayed for two hours <laughs> and didn't end till 1:47 a.m. We've got weather issues here now. Um, what do you remember about that day? knowing that rain was coming. How much did you find yourself checking the weather forecast that whole day? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, quite a lot. And, you know, it's it's one of those deals where it's like, are we going to start on time? Are we going to be delayed? Are we just going to have the whole thing pushed to another day? You know, what's going to happen here? Um, obviously, World Series games, you got to get them in. Yeah, you don't want to push too deep into uh, November. Well, this year into November, but it is it is frustrating as a player. But at the same time, you know, you go through enough of these things during the regular season where you know how to stay loose. You know, you know what you need to do in the clubhouse, the card games you need to play, the food you need to eat, whatever. Um, and for me, you know, I always pitch. Obviously, had pitched late in games, and so you know whether the game started on time or not, I definitely had a process. But um, you know, I think for me, I just. Once that game started, okay, now I can get into that process and uh, and get myself ready to pitch, you know, the ninth inning or whatever. Uh, but but it definitely, uh, you know, it's it's part of the the outdoor conditions of uh, you know sitting <laughs> in late October. I mean, this is what you're getting, and it's one of the reasons I think uh, you know a team like the Phillies. Uh, can, can do so well. I mean, when you're used to playing outside all year and kind of adverse conditions and, 
Uh, then all of a sudden, you know, you get all the fans because the fans aren't going to go anywhere. Like if this game is delayed or not, it won't matter. Like everyone is going to be around in that stadium and it's going to be uh it's going to be pretty fun tonight. Halloween night, you know, everything else. Even if it's raining, I have a feeling people will be very happy to stick around for an extra long time. Yeah, I mean, that game three in 08, uh, Carlos Ruiz gets the the walk-off squibber at 1.47 a.m. Nobody right. went home. <laughs> no, of course not. And then that wasn't even the big weather delay in that World Series <laughs> no. since game five had a two-day intermission <laughs> right in the middle of it. So y- your save of that final game was so unique. Um, I want to talk about it, but first, we have to hear the late, great Harry Callis call that final pitch. Fans on their feet. Rally towels are being waved. Brad Lidge stretches. The 0-2 pitch, swing and a miss! Struck him out! The Philadelphia Phillies are 2008 World Champions of Baseball! Brad Lynch does it again and stays perfect for the 2008 season. We, we, we love these goosebump moments. Uh, hey, how, how much do you still think about that moment, that strikeout of Eric Hinsky? And, and when you think about it, do you actually hear Harry Callis's epic call in your head? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I, I just feel so fortunate that, uh, you know, I was in Philly when I was and that uh, the great Harry Callis, you know, made that call because when I hear that and, uh, you know, obviously I've heard it a lot at this point, but every time that's <laughs> biggest pieces for me is that Harry Callis is doing it and uh just so much respect for him and and, and what he did in his life as a um you know covering so many things but really just somebody that you know we were I was actually telling some of my friends this the other day there's not a whole lot of guys that work with the media that can make their way to the back of the airplane and just kind of walk off a row of seats and you know have drinks with the team and and like no one ever thinks twice about it but he was that respected uh and so for me it made that moment so much better uh, that he was that he was on that call, but it uh, it still gives me goosebumps. First of all, I definitely felt that ju- uh, just now, and uh, you know I think I it's funny because I've seen the replay enough times where you know I have to try and remember you know being in that moment and, and not looking at myself in that moment uh, from the camera, but actually being in that moment and uh, you know feeling <laughs> on the pitch and you know knowing I was going to throw a slide. What so Chooch came out? I think uh, you know right before Hens- he came out there and uh you know we, we had a little meeting on the mound and uh he's he said uh you know rich Doobie, our pitching coach came out too and he's like hey uh you faced him one time you remember what happened i said yeah i threw him a, a fastball and he waffled it off the wall in the rain <laughs> and uh ryan howard started laughing because he didn't <laughs> he was like not expecting you know me, me to say that but so then uh i looked at me and he said hey let's just throw as many sliders as it takes then i said all right let's do it he never put down any signs that entire bat. We were just doing slider, 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 slider. <laughs> um, eventually, eventually got a good one and, uh, and got him out. Yeah, well, that would be easy on Pitchcom today, right? You just keep, keep hitting the same button over and over. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on, you know, sort of relieve, you know, how relievers have been used this postseason. Um, you know, just imagine a scenario where they would have said, okay, Brad Lidge, we're going to have you set up for the seventh inning because that's the high leverage inning because you're about to face, you know, Harper Schwarber and Rail Muto or something. So uh, what have, you know, what's been your feeling about how bullpens have been used, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and how leverage has shifted? Because your role would have been different or at least how they would have used you would have been different. 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, well, first of all, I would have to do uh, my stretching a little bit earlier, uh, get myself mentally ready. Um, and, you know, it is it's, it's interesting to me because there has been a transition and maybe Andrew Miller was one of the first guys to kind of do uh, this so well and so agreeably, uh, you know, to throw in those high leverage innings. And uh, I think there's been overall over the last like five, six years is kind of general buy-in uh, from relievers that, that understand like, listen, I might be the closer most nights, but in certain games and certain high leverage situations, to your point, uh, I need to get ready to come in earlier. And I think um, there used to be something to that where, where a lot of closers probably wouldn't have wanted to do that. They probably wouldn't have had that buy-in. Um, but I think that, you know, statistically, analytically, I think a lot of guys understand now they're going to put me in the position where I'm going to have the most success. And so I, I should be okay doing this. And then, you know, the, the ego aside, guys are willing to pitch kind of in whatever ends. And even established closers, like it's, it, it kind of surprises me a little bit. Guys that are, you know, established throwing the ninth inning and they have their routine. Even those guys, you know, in the we see this year, but in the last couple of years, they're ready to get out there whenever. There might be a handful of guys still like Kenley Jansen, probably not going to be thrown in that sixth, seventh inning. You know, I just, I don't know if he'll, he's, he's already done so much in the ninth inning. It would be tough to teach an old dog new tricks right there. But um, pretty much everyone else gets to the major leagues and understands that that's going to be the case at some point uh, now. So, um, I like it. I think it makes a ton of sense. And uh, I think, you know, for a team like the Phillies right now, there's basically four guys that can close out a game, five guys that can close out a game. And, uh, you know, depending on if Ranger Suarez is out there or not. So for me, I think they all understand it. They've fully bought in. And uh, I think that allows for a lot more freedom for a manager, to be totally honest. Like Rob Thompson has, you know, whatever matchups he wants, he can put the guys in there at that time. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, for a manager, I think it, it not, Honestly, it makes more sense. I, I like to see the closer used tradition in the traditional ways. Having an established closer obviously is great for a manager too, but being able to maneuver guys uh, strategically, I think, is a big advantage. You know, when you talked about changing routine, I almost forgot to circle back to that thing I wanted to ask you about. You know, other pitchers have obviously thrown the final pitch of a World Series. You're not the only one, but only you had to do it after what was basically. A three-inning game because you had the two-day rain delay. Then you started that day in the bottom of the sixth inning. Philly score immediately. What do you remember about how fast it seemed like you had to get ready for that save? It was crazy. Well, I'll tell you this. I mean, the you know when you're at that point in the World Series where you're you know one win away from winning the whole thing, it is so hard a to sleep because there's so much adrenaline just coursing through you and you just want to get the game started but of course it gets delayed and then delayed again another <laughs> i was really tired i remember but but i also you know remember yeah i had to totally maneuver my my warm-up routine everything else i just you know my mind i remember doing the uh you know the minutes and the hours and trying to figure okay if we start in the sixth inning where am i normally at kind of back that up and you know, into, into my routine. And, and so um, we were definitely on edge wanting to get that game started, like no question about it. And, and it's also really hard. Like for me, one of the big things I was able to do successfully that year, I believe is that I really stayed in the moment every single game. Like I never got ahead of myself. I always thinking about the hitters I was going to face and the pitches I was going to throw. But when you're one went away from winning a world series, your mind wants to go to that. And so I had to force myself to uh, just stay in the moment, stay in the moment, Think about the guys you're going to face. And then, of course, you know, the, it gets pushed back a day and then another day and everything else. So it was just it was difficult is uh, is the point there. And uh, I hope I hope that, uh, you know, other teams and other relievers don't have to go through that. But it was a, it was a crazy shotgun start right away. Um, you know, runs were scored. Action was happening. And it was uh, I, I had a really good feeling that I was going to get in there and it was going to be a one run lead. 
Yeah, that, that was such a crazy night. Total pregame routine. Both teams take batting practice. and It was like a normal day, except the game starts in the sixth <laughs> inning. So, so nuts. Is there some story that's never been told about that save or that final pitch? Even if it's the thing about Ryan Howard wrecking your knee in the dirt pile? Well, um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a necessarily a story about it. I, I would I would just say that uh, um, I remember being on the bottom of that pile and, uh, you know, screaming for joy with, you know, 20, 20 dudes, you know, 200, <laughs> 250 pounds. Victorino kept jumping off the pile. If you watch the replay, he would jump on top and then he'd go back, take 10 steps, and then he'd do it again and again. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, at some point I was like, get off. But, I mean, yeah, at some point my – foot was up by my face and I was still screaming for joy. So it was just one of those moments of elation where, uh, you know, even though you can't breathe and even though you're, you're kind of mangled on the bottom of the pile, <laughs> for sure. So, so if you have mugs and paintings and uh, t-shirts of that pitch or the dog pile all over your house, uh, you, you can admit it if you do. Uh, uh, no mugs. Uh, you know, definitely there's, there's a painting too that, uh, that uh, I think my wife commissioned one uh, um, from, uh, I think is well, it's Opie, ironically enough, in Houston. He does, uh, his name's Opie, does great uh, portraits of the Astros and the team, but she commissioned him to do one of the Phillies as well. And I uh, had some other uh, artists that wanted to do something like that back in uh, Colorado as well, where I'm, where I'm from. And so, yeah, we do have some things up here and there. You'd be sort of mistaken if you think my my wife would allow any pictures of me uh in our house they're they're all in the man cave um but yeah there, there's a few cool things uh certainly with the last pitch and certainly from that season that uh are uh, are in my my man cave office downstairs yeah so brad i'm i'm curious about um you know looking ahead okay after you win the world series in 08 it's sort of life after that, just the general. And I'm wondering about the the celebration and the beauty of it, right? Being known in Philadelphia and bringing that championship after 28 years, uh, but also the challenges. You know, you've definitely heard stories about some of the challenges of just adjusting to life and whether it's privacy or just like nothing ever measuring up to that. So, you know, what, I guess, tale do you have about life after that in the transition? Uh, that's a great question. I, I would just say this. I mean, that year obviously changed uh, a lot of things for me, you know, had uh, a good start of my career, you know, however many years in Houston. Then, then, you know, after the big home run, it was kind of some downtimes there a little bit in 06 and 07, which led me to be traded. So I always, you know, look at back at that moment now fondly, uh, maybe not in 06 and 07, but uh, now I can do that with a little better perspective. And I think for me, it changed, you know, my, my life quite a lot, but also, yeah, like the day-to-dayness of it and, you know, in Philly and the Northeast, like all of a sudden, you know, at grocery stores, even, you know, you're, you're maybe just with your kids and whatever else, but there's a line of people, you know, after you get your groceries outside, uh, you know, it's, it's Philly, it's, uh, you know, South Jersey. So that people know where you shop and, uh, <laughs> and autographs at all kinds of crazy places. But, um, you know, I never minded that aspect, honestly, of, of being a professional athlete. I always thought it was, uh, you know, I always got a kick out of it. And I think my kids did too. So, um, it, it definitely changed life for us. And, uh, but in, in only great ways. I mean, I really have nothing negative to say to it. Yeah, there are some some challenges, I guess, so to speak, but uh, only because, uh, you know, something very something great happened. So I, I can't ever, uh, you know, think that those are, are negative things. And, uh, you know, the city of Philadelphia, I've been super fortunate. You know, that happened my first year here, and they've, uh, they've been amazing, the fans here, and uh, they've kind of embraced uh, things ever since. 
And uh, I think it's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, in my heartstrings, I'm cheering for the Phillies. <laughs> you know, I remember that next spring training, uh, I, I showed you the pocket schedule for the 2009 season. And your last pitch was a photo of it was on the cover <laughs> of that. And I remember I was talking about how that moment, when you have that moment, you see it everywhere. It never goes away. I, I'm curious, what what's the strangest, craziest, most unexpected place you ever saw that photo? Uh, well, you know what? Um, that photo has a... Uh, I think a couple of years ago, I was at a, uh, a bar kind of on the outskirts of, uh, of Philly uh, with uh, with some friends. And, uh, you know, it was it was all it was on all the coasters in there. They were, they were doing some kind of but it was it was 2018. It was the anniversary. So uh, it, it appears on, uh, you know, it does appear on a lot of odd things here and there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a beer coaster. Maybe it's, you know, something else. But I, I have seen it. Um, you know, I just true story. Last night we were uh, walking around Philly, getting some dinner, and uh, we we went around the corner and uh, next to a restaurant, Elvez, and uh, oh, yeah. um, little there's a little picture on the wall. It's uh, I, I I took a picture. It kind of got tickled a little bit. It had a picture of me in that pose, Jason, <laughs> and uh, it's oh you know one two three, and then there was like an advertisement for for something else. I don't even know what it was. Wall. <laughs> Uh, you know, my, my buddies were like, oh, you took us this way on purpose. You just wanted to show us the know this was here. Um, so it does keep popping up. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, how could you ever uh, not be grateful to see something like that? So uh, um, it, it, it does appear in some uh, crazy places from time to time. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, you know, another thing, Brad, you had great postseason moments with both teams. You also had painful moments with both teams. And I, I've, I've covered a lot of postseason baseball, been at a lot of postseason baseball games, been around a lot of players dealing with difficult moments. Um, nobody in all that time handled the tough moments 
with more professionalism uh, and accountability than you did. How hard was it to stand there and answer questions after some World Series game, some postseason game that, that gets away when you're on the mound? Um, well, first of all, thank you. I, I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, again, coming up in Houston with some incredible role models uh, uh, that really, you know, kind of set you straight in terms of how you needed to be accountable for, you know, for everything. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, there were definitely really hard moments. I mean, there's no question about it. You know, it, it, 2005 obviously jumps off the page on that. Um, but there were times where I, you know, I would get frustrated because you get asked the same question a lot. And, uh, and then, you know, maybe a wave of, uh, of, of media kind of comes and goes. And then all of a sudden, you know, 15 minutes later, you're like, all right, now I need to clear my headspace and get ready to, to pitch. And, uh, and then the next wave would come in and ask the same question. So, um, you know, I think uh, there was times for me where I had to be careful. Like I wanted to be accountable uh, for sure. And, 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 you know, if people had questions, fine, let's do it. But I also had to make sure that I was giving myself time uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, to get myself ready to, to pitch and to play and to not dwell on those, you know, negative thoughts too much, which obviously they, they occur. Um, and so it's, it's a kind of a, a, a battle and a little bit of a, you know, balance you got to find out there. And, uh, you know, fortunately at some point or another, I think in probably 2007, before I got to feel, fortunately, before I got to Philly, I started feeling really good about just, you know, my, my approach and everything out there and kind of my mindset and everything else. But, um, yeah, there are some tough moments, uh, you know, fortunately, you know, it, it is uh, ultimately kind of interesting too. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I've, I've seen this before where, you know, your career kind of gets, you know, morphed down into, into two moments, you know, where you give up the big home for me, you know, giving up the big home run to pools and then winning the world series. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because obviously there's, there's so many more moments, so many other, you know, postseason saves that there were great moments in the, in the playoffs or whatever else, but, uh, sometimes it all just gets melted down into that, into those two things. And I'm just thinking, you know, for myself, I'm just fortunate if they were going to be those two things that are happened in that order and not the other way around. <laughs> yeah. I was, I, I was thinking, you know, in Albert's farewell tour about how like we never let guys like you get past those moments. As long as Albert is still playing, we never, we couldn't let you forget that home run. <laughs> hey, so at least Albert finally got out of your way. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I mean, it's, it is kind of funny, but like, I honestly found myself this year, uh, really, uh, genuinely kind of happy watching him play. And like, you know, with, with a genuine smile, watching him go on a great run, uh, these last couple of months and, uh, thinking, man, some of these younger pitchers had no idea what it was like to face Albert in his prime. And now they're finally, faced a little. you know, I started, uh, being able to kind of in, in, enjoy his career and, uh, everything he's done. Uh, you know, it, it, it takes a little while. Right. But, um, but I'm really uh, genuinely, uh, you know, grateful again for the moments that, that happened for me. If I wouldn't have given up that home run, I never would have been in Philly. Um, so that's the way I look at it. But I'm also genuinely uh, uh, happy that he got to end on such an incredible note, such an incredible run uh, for such an incredible career. Well, Brad, I'm, I'm curious, uh, just thinking back the whole career through minor league baseball and all that, uh, what, what are some of those moments that, maybe nobody knows about you know i like i had a walk off grand slam once and i know jason's never heard this story uh in a ball in the carolina league you know and that's <laughs> that's actually the only professional grand slam i ever had and it was opposite field so it was like nothing was right about that so i'm curious do you have any like circle moments in the minor leagues or that that maybe didn't certainly didn't get the world series attention of those two moments we you mentioned yeah so i mean for me the minor leagues were they were a circus i mean i was 
chronically injured. At one point after I got, so I got drafted in the first round by the Astros and, you know, the expectations are high, but I was hurt so often. At one point I had more surgeries in the, in the, when I was like my third year with the Astros, I had four surgeries and three wins. Uh, (laughs) It's not good. I mean, it was, uh, getting out on the field was like the hardest thing for me. Every time I got to like 20 innings, it's funny, my Jersey number was 20, but every time I got to 20 innings, I got hurt. Um, and so I tried to change it to the highest number I could, which ultimately when I got like, how's 54, I was like, that's better than 20. So I'll take that. Um, and, but, but I do remember kind of the mental grind of thinking how many, you know, the, after another injury, how many credits do I need to go back and, you know, get my degree and, and, uh, you know, start a different, a different walk of life because my arm for whatever reason is just not meant to pitch. I mean, I had all kinds of, uh, you know, bad luck things too. It took a line drive comebacker in, uh, in a ball that broke my right arm, my, my ulna bone right in half. I still have a plate in there from that. And so, you know, there's just a lot of moments for me when I think back about the minor leagues that, that are really hard. Like it was just hard to get it. But, but I think for me, the biggest, the most joyful moment I should say was in triple a actually being able to pitch as a starting pitcher and go six, seven innings. It was like the first time I could really do it. And ironically, when I started feeling like, okay, I can be a starting pitcher and throw for a while. I had one start, my first start, my only start in the major leagues in 2002 against the Milwaukee Brewers. And I go out there and I'm in uh, finish up the third inning. I go two for two with two hits, two, <laughs> It was like the greatest game I felt ever, you know, as a starting pitcher. Um, but my second at bat, I kind of pulled my uh, oblique muscle. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. So, but, you know, after the game, I was, so I got taken out of innings. But after the game, I was like, man, I'm just, I'm penciling myself into the rotation next year, maybe the number five guy, whatever. And I remember after the game, Brad Ausmus came up to me and he's like, hey, uh, you know, great job. He's like, I don't want you to get upset, but uh, I, you know, I had some, some talks with uh, some of the brass. I, I, I'm recommending that you kind of go to the bullpen. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I felt like nice, you know, in the back right there. What are you talking about? And he's like, he's basically saying, listen, you're, you're slider. He's like, you're, you're going to be a closer someday, but your changeup is awful. Like there's no way you're going to be able to throw three pitches in the major leagues and have success because you really have a slider and they can work, but your changeup is terrible. And so anyway, we got a kick out of that, but, uh, um, yeah, that start in Milwaukee was, uh, was kind of a double-edged sword for me. But, uh, as I said before, you know, I can't complain about the uh, trajectory of my career and Brad Ausmus obviously knew what he was talking about. <laughs> so did you, so you got to sit on that 1000 batting average for a while, huh? Did, where, where'd you finish? Higher than Glanville? Sure. Well, let's next five at bats I had, you know, as the closer, as a reliever, a setup guy or a closer, uh, I was told to not swing the bat when I got up there. So um, I think I was able to, however, put one ball in play. But I was—I I finished my career two for seven, and I think the next five at-bats were four punch-outs and maybe one ball that I hit, like, literally four feet forward. Uh, that was what I put in play, yeah. Yeah, well, we're going to say that wasn't your fault. They told you not to swing. What were you supposed to do? Um, hey, before we let you go, man, we have to play America's favorite game, which is, of course, know your Astros, Phillies, Brad Lidge trivia. Are you ready to play the game, Brad? I'll give it my best. <laughs> All right. I think you can do this. Besides you, there are four other pitchers who have saved at least 10 games for both the Phillies and the Astros. Mm. Can you name oh, them? That's a tough one. <laughs> Well, Billy Wagner is going to be my easy go-to. Uh, yep. Uh, I knew you'd get uh, that one. <laughs> boy, this is <laughs> tough. Um, 
I feel like Mitch Williams was pitched for the Astros too, but maybe he doesn't get saves. Yeah, okay, Mitch, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a hint. Mitch only got six for the Astros, so man, you, you still have three to go. You all right? You played with one of these guys. Who am I missing? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now I'm feeling uh, <laughs> not great. Oh boy, man, you, you, you caught me on a bat. Uh, uh, all right. Well, I'm, I'll give you a hint on that guy. Yeah. Uh, all right, so you obviously saved the game that's that sent the Phillies to the playoffs in 2008. This guy saved the game that sent the Phillies to the playoffs the year before that. Oh, Brett Myers. Brett Myers is correct. Uh, 19 for the Astros, 21 for the Phillies. So then of the other two, one guy was before you, the other guy was after your time. One's, one's really recent. Um, Ken Giles. Pitch- Ken Giles is right. So you only got one more. Um, give, me a, give me a decade. Is, <laughs> is it It's before me or? This was kind of Glanville's era. This was a 90s. Mm. Kind of guy. Oh, should I try to guess here? Mm. Saved a ton of games for the Astros, but I believe made the All Star team for the Phillies. Oh wow! <laughs> I looked into all this stuff. Mm. Man, that is going to be. I play with him? Uh, <laughs> I think you missed him okay. actually. I'm sure you faced so, him. They're going to have to team up on this one, but I feel like we're not going to do very well. <laughs> <even if> we... <laughs> all right, so neither of you have any clue. Oh, I'm trying to. Is he a lefty or righty? He was righty. Mm. And he was their closer. Pretty well-known oh, guy. Like Doug Jones or something like that? Doug Jones is right! <laughs> are, we, are, we giving, uh, are we giving credit for this? Uh, what, you, what are we doing here? If, if Tim, if this had... Mayor Tim, if this had been me and Glanville trying to get this question, <laughs> would you have awarded us yeah, probably. A, a right we, answer? We well, you, you guys know, but we'll give it to Brett. He's a guest in Starkville. <laughs> See what we deal with every week, Brett? That's tough. That's real tough. You know, that was a, that was a good, fair question. And I'm happy about how poorly I did answering it. So, well, <laughs> it worked out. He, we, you got it right. According yeah, to the mayor, yeah, got it right. you know, there was some fun, there were some fun guesses, Mitch, uh, Larry Anderson, but he didn't have enough saves yeah. in yeah. Philly. Flash Gordon pitched for both. Chad Qualls pitched for oh, both. God. Hector yeah. Neris obviously doing it now. Anyway, this is why it's America's favorite (laughs) brad we could talk to you for hours man but uh, we've all got a lot on our plate these days um so thank you so much for carving out time to explore uh the archaeology of starkville (laughs) awesome yeah we swept out all the corners on this one guys yeah we loved having you man thank you so much see you at the ballpark yeah but all right i'll be uh, i'll be in tomorrow so i'll catch you over there man Awesome. Awesome. Take care, guys. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. All right, man. Thank you. You You too. too, You too. Take care. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this, all World Series long and very soon, all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. Also, if you would like to read any of the awesome writing in The Athletic, and especially this time of year, we can tell you how to do that. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. It's true. 
$1. That's what I said. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show except this one, we pick the uh, most fun listener trivia question of the week. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove, once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So, how would that work? You can still email us at stuckville at theathletic.com or there's that Twitter option. Uh, if someone were to, say, undertake that Twitter option, mm-hmm. uh, is there a connection between Doug Glanville and our listenership on the Twitter? Well, you could fly right in on whatever bird you choose. And uh, I would say you can just tweet me then in that case. And it's simple. Yeah. At Doug Glanville. D-O- uh, should I spell my name? I, I should spell it. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N as in Nancy. V as in Victor. I-L-L-E. That's it. <laughs> Glanville spelling his name is just one of the great weekly Starkville <laughs> traditions. I, I don't go there. It, to, to find me on Twitter, it's at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Mm-hmm. Don't need the arc. You save that for Noah. Uh, just remember, hashtag those questions. Hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Brad Lidge for visiting us. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Doug and I will see you next week. On Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.